Well, can I just start out this morning by saying to all of you, well done. We have made it this far, and it has been a very trying, very difficult week. Well done on being here. I noticed something very interesting this week. I noticed that all of our little idiosyncrasies are on display in a crisis. There are the panickers, you know them. They're the ones who comment on every single social media post or news article with things like, we're doomed, the world is ending, get your affairs in order. There are the preppers, you know them, they all have a fully stocked pantry, including more toilet paper than anyone has a right to have right now. And people used to make fun of them, but the preppers now are all saying, how do you like me now? Then there are the helicopter parents. They're the ones who are convinced that their child's elementary school, and in many cases, universities, are not doing enough for their babies. But the opposite of the helicopter parent is the free-range parent. They're the ones who are just like, here are the keys to the car, see you in a week. There are the naysayers who just headed to the beach for spring break because YOLO, you only live once. There are the introverts who are snuggled on their couches with their laptops and their headphones in, and they're all secretly like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and then there are the drivers and the do-gooders. The do-gooders are the ones who are signing up to volunteer for everything. They are taking care of everyone in their orbit. They want to know how to help, who to check in on, when to show up. But then the drivers are the ones who are like, y'all go on home, we got this. The drivers are the ones that have their heads down and they're just like going to work on solutions and delivery systems and keeping the world spinning. As a pastor, I have seen all of you on display this week, and I love you all so much for it. Because when all is said and done, it tells me one thing. We need each other in all of our glorious ways. This is an opportunity right now for collective wellness. We are being called to do this together. It has never been more true than right now that going rogue and doing things on your own could actually lead to more pain for someone else. That can be a challenge for us Americans because we are, at our hearts, problem solvers and workers and doers. We are success magnets, man. We want to show up and help and first, we want to know what happened. We want to know what happened in the first place and what are we going to do to make it right? But we do just have one question first. Who's responsible? How did this happen? We just want to know that and then we'll get to work. Which is why the question posed in the, by the disciples today in our scripture reading from the Gospel of John really hit home. It's a question we ask over and over again when we're confronted with the unknown, things like cancer, climate change, drug addiction, babies born blind. Whose fault is it? 
when Jesus' disciples asked him why a certain man was born blind, they assumed it was because of either his sin or his parents' sin. Surely something had caused him to be born this way because if there's no reason for what happened to him, then the same thing could happen to me. But Jesus said, no one sinned. He says, there's no cause and effect here. You're looking for someone to blame. You're asking the wrong question. Look instead, he says, for what God can do through him. The scripture translation that you heard this morning actually reads, neither he nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that the works of God might be revealed in him. But, so interesting, the phrase he was born blind so that actually doesn't appear in the original Greek of our scriptures. Our English translators added that for some reason, probably for some clarity at the time, but I believe it was crystal clear in the original Greek without that line. Here's how it reads, neither he nor his parents sinned, period, but that the works of God might be revealed. You see, God didn't cause him to be blind just so that God could perform miracles and healing, but God will certainly use blindness for good. And the truth is that God is always calling us into our own blindness, into the place of unknowing and unseeing. I find it particularly poignant and meaningful that this global crisis has hit during our season of Lent, a season of spiritual reflection and of turning back to God. God may be using this time to lead us to our own blind spots and to help us to truly grow and see. We are experiencing life in a whole new way. There is no doubt about it. Yes, there have been plagues and there have been flus and polio and pandemics, but this is our time. This right now is our time. And each one of us is being asked and forced to re-examine the way that we've always done things. School, business, healthcare, government, relationships. Now is the time for us to think creatively, outside the box. Now, I know that some of you are sitting at home right now watching this and you are suffering with coronavirus. And I am so very sorry. But I also know that many, many of us are sitting at home right now suffering in another way with anxiety and fear of an uncertain future. Your livelihoods are at stake. Your relationships may be on the rocks. Your plans are upended. Your children need to be homeschooled. <laughs> I mean, this is not easy. I am so very sorry. One thing is for certain, none of us is immune on this planet from COVID-19. And no one is immune to worry, especially now. But I'd like you to consider for a moment that your worry may be 
a blind spot. Our challenge in the days and weeks ahead is not to let our blind spots get in the way of our ability to move forward in a positive way. Now more than ever, the world needs new ways of seeing. You and I need new ways of seeing. The founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, tells the story, or told the story several hundred years ago, of walking one day with a man. And the man said, I don't know what to do with all this worry and all this trouble that I have. He was frozen with fear of his future, fear of his circumstances and worry, doubt that anyone, including God, could help him. So John Wesley, walking through a field, pointed to a cow that was looking over a stone fence. And he asked the man, do you know why that cow is looking over that stone fence? The man said, no. And Wesley said, the cow is looking over the fence because he can't see through it. That's what you have to do with your wall of trouble, he said. Look over it and ignore it. There is always something on the other side. As I said earlier, Lent is a time of deep spiritual reflection. This global crisis has added a layer of importance to that. So where do you find yourself spiritually wanting? Where are your blind spots? What might be on the other side of the fence? The other side of that wall of fear that you may be experiencing. What can this tender time of the unknown be inviting you to? I doubt very much that it's inviting us to negativity and panic and fear, but rather to step boldly into the unknown despite those very real feelings. The disciples assumed that the man who was born blind was a problem to be fixed. But think about that for a moment. Why do we assume he was broken? Did he feel broken? If so, maybe it was because of the way people treated him, not because of the way that he believed himself to be. In fact, when he was asked by the Pharisees later, how did this happen? How did Jesus do this? The man couldn't answer. He said, all I know is this, I was blind and now I see. And isn't that the way that Jesus works? He has a way of leading people to perfect clarity while others are still busy trying to define someone else's brokenness. And I think we are at our worst when we're trying to identify what's wrong with someone else to identify somebody else's issues, which I think we do out of a sense of fear. Something must be wrong with them, because if not, then the same thing could happen to me. So we say things like, well, she must have had a genetic predisposition that caused her to get sick. Maybe her diet was wrong, that's why she got cancer. His relationship ended because he's a workaholic. Well, her children are addicted to drugs because she was too lenient as a parent. That person needs to work out more, we think. That's what 
her problem is. Or, of course, his business went under. He's a terrible businessman. He doesn't know how to run it properly. He was born blind because his mother and father sinned. You see what's going on here, right? First and foremost, I want to believe there's a reason for someone else's pain so the same thing can't happen to me. But the next thing that comes up for us is then we want to fix it. We want to put a silver lining on it. And you know what I mean by that? Silver linings sound like this. Well, school's canceled, but at least you get to be home with your kids now. Your business is shut down, but maybe you could treat it like a little vacation. You're stuck at home, but at least you can do all those little projects around the house you've been wanting to do. You lost your job, but you didn't really like that job anyway. The writer Kate Bowler says silver linings always start with at least. And they can be very minimizing to our pain. Because truthfully, not everything deserves a silver lining. Things don't always need to be and can't always be fixed. Pain, suffering, fear, anxiety, loneliness, all the things, by the way, that you might be feeling right now, today. These things we just need to be present to. We need to be present as individuals, but we also need to be present to what someone else is experiencing without minimizing their pain. No blaming, no shaming, no judgment, no fixing. Sometimes what the world needs is for us to just slow down, be present, and consider first, what is the next right step? And that is where God is at work. The blind man's miracle of sight would have massive repercussions for the world. So much good would come for him, for his family, his community, the community of believers, and on and on down through the generations. There was a situation. God was present. God's works were on display. That's it. Maybe we don't need to read any more into it. And God's work being on display, my friends, is one thing, and you all know what it is, love. God's work is love, and it is most on display when we are at our best, caring for the sick, clothing the needy, welcoming the stranger, visiting those in need. God's work is seen in the moms and dads now homeschooling their kids. It's seen in the county nurses in hazmat suits going out into people's homes and testing for the virus. God's work is packaging up and delivering foods for students who never had enough meals at home and now don't even have them at school. God's work is in the generosity of landlords cutting rents for people who are now out of work. God's work is local restaurants donating food and, yes, even toilet paper that they no longer need. God's work is in military pilots flying 500,000 test kits to the United States from Italy yesterday. God's work is a national football team funding a childcare program for first responders, children, so that they can continue being on the front lines. It's grocery store workers stocking shelves at night 
so they can keep up with the demand. It's city workers sanitizing subway systems and public walkways. God's work always is work that is done for our collective, our global good. God's work is love in action for those who need it the most, regardless of who they are or what they might have done in life. The great philosopher Soren Kierkegaard described sin as something that we do when we seek to identify as an individual, first and foremost, separate and apart from God. We make ourselves and our own pursuits the center of the world. It's pretty simple. He says sin is trying to go it alone without God. The opposite of sin, then, is letting God go with us, trusting in God's way, trusting in love. Honestly, sometimes that sounds too lofty to people, I know, especially when they're in pain. But maybe that's a blind spot. Maybe God is calling us into that particular darkness, and God's just waiting for our eyes to adjust. You and I are staring into the dark abyss of the unknown. And it can scare the bejeebers out of us. But we lean in. We lean into the unknowing and the unseeing because when we do, we operate from a place of trust, not fear. Hope, not anxiousness. Grace, not judgment. We operate from a place of love, in action. When we're staring at our problems, we need to look over the fence. Maybe the miracle wasn't in Jesus' spitting into the mud and smearing it into the man's eyes so that he could see, but in helping everyone else see God and act according to God's ways. In other words, stop asking why and start asking, now what? We have God's work to do. Each and every one of us, the preppers, the panickers, the helicopters, the do-gooders, each of us plays a role because God's work is ultimately about caring for one another, deeply caring, seeking to understand, paying attention to what needs to be done, noticing those who can't do for themselves, encouraging those who are on the front lines, accepting what is without losing sight of what could be. Some of you out there right now are called to greatness in times like these. You are stepping up in huge ways. You're stepping up for your families, for your communities, in your areas of expertise to heal people, to rally volunteers, to manage chaos, to find a cure. And our ability, each of us, to step up when we are needed, demands one thing, trust. And this calls for a bit of spiritual humility, the sense of, you know what, I can't see clearly right now, but I trust in the one who can. The gift of today's scripture message is this. Look for God in the midst, in the mess, 
neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God would be manifest. God doesn't cause bad things to occur. Things happen. Whew. A lot of things have happened in these last two weeks. And God is here with us in this pivotal, defining, unprecedented time in our lifetimes. And trust ultimately requires us to recognize the places in our lives, the places in our hearts, where we are blind to God's presence. But we are being invited in a powerful way this Lent to lean in to the unknown and the unseen with trust so that God's works might be revealed in us. Amen.